Hey folks, I just want to let you know about my upcoming book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. If you're looking for a job or you think you might be looking for a job in the future and you're trying to up your mobility and meet new people and things like that, this book walks you through the whole process. So go ahead and check it out. It comes out on November 20th. It'll be on Amazon and you can find it as The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson. On our panel today, we have Josh Adams. Hey, good buddies. Michael Reese. Hello, friends. And today we're joined with our special guest, Nathan Long. Hi. So Nathan, thank you for coming on. Uh, we we're hoping you could give us a little background as to what you're currently doing, where you're working, any information like that before we jump into our, our exciting topic. Yeah, so I'm Nathan Long. I'm a senior software engineer at Dockyard. I uh, feel like I'm, I can't believe I get to say that. That's pretty awesome and exciting. Uh, so somehow I have ended up there. <laughs> and uh, I was the driving force pretty much behind the Phoenix Frenzy competition. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. I did want to invite you on and talk about uh, Phoenix Frenzy. I thought it was a really cool idea. And so if you haven't, so if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't actually seen this yet or heard about it, um, maybe you should just give us a quick introduction to what the Phoenix Frenzy was uh, and is and just kind of maybe how it got started. Yeah, so Phoenix Frenzy was a contest that we just wrapped up. Um, and the purpose was to give people um, a reason to build cool demos with with Phoenix and specifically this time we did live view um, because there's there's a lot of we could see there was a lot of excitement around live view and we wanted to just get more people trying it more people finding out what it can do and more showcases of what it can do um, so that that was that was the main goal is kind of elevate the profile of elixir and Phoenix and live view very cool. And one of, the th one of the main reasons I want to make sure people are aware of this, so the contest is over, the submissions are all done, and I love that you guys chose uh, judges from the community, and uh, they kind of came in and judged and gave feedback on the different projects and the submissions. And one of the things I think is relevant, you know, for you, dear listener, you're listening to this and you're thinking, why do I care? Uh, because the contest is over, right? So the reason you should care is because all of the Submissions are open source. They're hosted online. You can see the winners, read the feedback from the judges, but you can browse the projects themselves because you can self-host them. You can explore and play with them and just see how did they build this? Because I think this is a freaking cool demo app and it shows some really neat tech. How do I do that? And that is where you, know, you can just jump in and kind of dig around and see how they did it. And that's one of the greatest values that I love about this is that all of the submissions are open source. So can you kind of share like your motivations around uh, why you wanted to start this? Yeah, so um, the, like I said, the goal was to show off what live you can do. And I think, um, I think we all know like Elixir is pretty special. Elixir can do some amazing things, um, but if you kind of zoom out and look at the, the world at large, it's, it's easy to, if, if you're in the Elixir world and you're doing Elixir and everybody you follow on Twitter is talking about Elixir, you're like, oh, Elixir is a big thing. Everybody does it, right? But if you go look at usage statistics for different languages, it's, it's kind of hard to measure. But um, one of the things that I looked at was, there's a post by a guy named Ben Fredrickson um, called Ranking Programming Languages by GitHub Users. 
Um, and we can put that, that link in the show notes. It's, the, it's from January 2018, so it's a little bit outdated. But the approach he took, I thought was interesting. It's not going to be perfect, but he basically said, uh, what percentage of users on GitHub had any interaction with code in different languages? And uh, in, in whatever time period he's analyzing. So he found that 22.63% of users had touched JavaScript repos, 14% roughly Python, 14% Java, so on down the line. He did the top 25. And the bottom one, the number 25 on his ranking was Haskell with 0.39% of users. Neither Erlang nor Elixir appeared on the list. <laughs> so just to give you some perspective, right? Like that means that at a minimum, JavaScript in, in his measurement is 58 times more popular than Elixir at minimum, right? And, and so I think there's a lot of things that are being done with JavaScript that's really cool, but I think there's also a lot of things that are being done with JavaScript and Java and Python and, and other languages that you could do better in Elixir. And I wanted a way for us to show that, show off what our tools can do, because frankly, I think it would be very difficult to build something like LiveView in other languages. Yeah, bravo for the concept. That's uh, It's good to focus on what you're great at. Yeah, thanks. I'm interested, as you guys were putting this together, it seems like this kind of raises uh, Elixir's profile in two specific areas. There's, there's sort of like all the people who are incentivized to build a demo, and that means them and, and maybe their friends or other people they're connected to on Twitter or things kind of hear about Elixir and specifically about LiveView. You also maybe have companies who are like, oh, well, what could this like how could this solve my problem? Or, or maybe maybe it's an engineer trying to tell their company that LiveView can solve this problem. Um, were you focused on one side of that equation or the other? No, not really. I mean, uh, really all of the above. Uh, initially, initially my hope was that we would, my, my hope was that we would get judges from not, in, not only in the Elixir community, but you know, big wigs from JavaScript and other languages and get them kind of buying in and saying, oh, these things are really cool. And hey, people from my community, check this out. I think that was a little over ambitious, at least maybe for the first time around. <laughs> um, and and uh, we ended up kind of backtracking on that. But I do want to get, I do want to get people who haven't tried, uh, who haven't tried Elixir yet to be able to try it and have a have a uh, jumping off point. And that was, uh, so one of the things we did for the contest was start, a, create a forkable repo. You know, if you're going to make an entry, you fork this repo. And it already was set up with Phoenix and LiveView and everything. And there was like a really basic kind of hello world usage of LiveView in it. So you could at least start from there and start tinkering. I don't know that we succeeded in the goal of getting people from outside Elixir to try this yet, but maybe next time. Well, I think what may go a long way towards that is just having uh, the results from this one as a as a template or a landmark uh, that you can look to for any future ones, which kind of brings me to my next question. Uh, do you uh, plan to do this in the future again? Well, we're, we're still kind of catching our breath from this time. <laughs> uh, I think it's likely. We, we just haven't talked about how what that would look like yet. Um, but I would think I would think we'd like to do it. Um, and I think it would probably be less work to do it the second time around since we have a lot of the pieces in place, but uh, I don't want to commit to anything yet because we haven't, we haven't made that call. Um, sure. So I'm, we, I'm curious about how much effort this was uh, on the organization side, just for kind of coming up with this, you know, you have a, a nice looking website and you coordinated with judges and creating this, this template project, you know, it sounds like there's a lot that went into it. Um, maybe you can kind of share a little bit about what that was, how, how much impact that had on, on you and, in, and uh, your organization. Oh my goodness. Yes. This was a lot of effort. <laughs> um, yeah. For me personally, this was neat. Cause like you mentioned, the site looks good. Um, I, I pitched this idea and I, and I built a working, but extremely hideous prototype. Um, it was like basically unstyled HTML and maybe in some cases the styling was worse than unstyled. <laughs> and so like I, when we got to the point of involving other people, I was like, okay, I'm going to show you this page so you know like what the buttons do, but just try not to throw up in your mouth. Like, I know you're a designer and you are really good at this and just like imagine whatever you want to imagine. <laughs> and and thankfully they uh, they really reimagined it well. Um this this was a, a blast for me. This is actually the first time that at Dockyard I've gotten to work with um people in all the different areas. So my experience so far had been doing back-end work for clients and kind of joining their back-end team. 
Um, but for this, we needed design, we needed UXD and project management and everything. And Dockyard has really great talent in all those areas. I'd never gotten a chance to work with any of them. I would see our designers posting this crazy awesome stuff in their Slack channel and be like, oh, I wish I could work with them. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was totally a treat to get to do this um, and get, you know, the designers come in and just like totally reach, redo how everything looks and the UXD folks come in and implement that. It was like full Avengers team uh, at Dockyard and, and like, I, I hope more companies will hire us to use our whole team of resources together like that. Um, but the tough part of this was we were all squeezing it in. You know, we do client work at Dockyard Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, we have time to do side projects and, and stuff like that. And that's, that's pretty much where all this got done. And so, and, and the other thing about this project is the timing was kind of, was kind of tricky because like we wanted to capitalize on initial excitement about live view. We didn't want to wait too long to do it. Um, but this was all set up in phases. Uh, if, if you didn't look at the contest, there was a countdown clock and the, the phases were all declared, you know, on this date at this time, we're going to go to the next phase and you'll, we'll stop accepting entries. And then at this time we'll start voting. And at this time, you know, the, the results will be public. And so it was all committed, like, you know, and so, you know, we got to the point where we're like, well, we've got to announce this thing and we're not totally done with the site yet. <laughs> uh, do we think we can finish? Because once we announce it, it's a ticking time bomb and we're just gonna have to finish it somehow. <laughs> and so that was, a, that was a little bit of a wild ride, a little bit stressful. So I, I think if we, if we do this again, we'll probably plan a little bit differently and um, maybe we'll have more, well, at least we have a foundation to start with. But everything, all the, all the ticking time bomb feature on the site that, you know, the countdown and, uh, the voting, all the interactive bits were all done with Live View. I did all that stuff. It was my first time really using Live View, and that was a blast. So uh, I didn't, by any means, have the time or, or, or probably the talent visually to do a, a, an entry. But I'm, you know, making the site work was a great learning experience for me. I'm cool. a little surprised to hear that um, PhoenixFrenzy.com didn't win the competition this first time around. <laughs> <laughs> it seems seems like a pretty amazing showcase uh, of what you can do with Live View. Oh, thank you. I'm, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I, I think the problem is it was disqualified because it started before the contest started. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was a thing. Um, that so that was one of the parameters of the contest that if we do this again, I'd like to change. Initially, we were thinking that. We wanted it to be fair and we wanted to try to give everybody the same amount of time to do things. And so we wanted to ensure that things were built after the contest started and, you know, completed before the contest ends. And so it's kind of fair shot all around. But uh, and that was part of the idea. Uh, in addition to giving people a nice starting point, the having the repo that you fork, you know, you have to commit on top of that. So you, you must have started from there. But honestly, I don't think that really holds water because there's no reason you can't have already had a bunch of code and copied and pasted it in. We can't tell that. And at the end of the day, we, we really just want to see cool demos. Uh, and, and like, that's what the community wants to see. And that's what's going to be of value to, uh, to show off. So, and we actually had to disqualify a few people. I, I really, really hated it who started earlier and um, we didn't want to, we didn't want to put people who did follow those rules at a disadvantage, but, it was just, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> I would much rather just say, look, if you want to build something cool, you can enter it and we're going to accept it and uh, let everybody see it. Well, now might be a good time to talk about some of the submissions that you felt really stood out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, was, in such a, <laughs> I was in such a frenzy to finish the site that I, I hardly looked at anything, any of the submissions until it was all over, other than just like cursory glances to say like, did they in fact use live view and is uh you know is this offensive anyway but so the, the the winning entry the one that got first place and by the way this is all by community votes we did have i should back up and talk about this a little bit we had so we had some judges uh some vip folks from the community who we invited to come and leave comments and their comments are marked as you know this is chris mccord it's, it's got a little vip badge or or whatever um but uh every but like the winners are de were determined 100 percent by community votes and one of the features that I'm proud of that you probably wouldn't have noticed in the site is when you loaded the voting page with all the entries that had been approved for voting, it was in a random order. And every time you reloaded that page, it'd be in a random order. I had to do a little bit of trickery so that 
when you upvoted or commented or whatever, which causes live view to re-render that page, it didn't reshuffle them. But if you actually do a refresh, it would it would reshuffle everything. And it was truly random. I wanted to make sure that you know nobody was gonna get uh, a boost in popularity just by the fact that they happen to be at the top of the page. So everything was by community vote. Um, so the, the the top entry that got the most votes was called GeoRacer. And it's a it's a mobile game. You walk around and you define geolocations, and then people can compete compete to visit all the waypoints before the other players. Uh, it was really impressive work. Uh, Zach Kaiser, I think, is how you say the name of the the main developer on it. And there were some others on his team from a consultancy called Gaslight. And by the way, I think it's really cool. Even though I work for Dockyard and we're known for Elixir, I'm I'm really excited to see more consultancies picking up Elixir and championing that they're doing that. I think that's great for the uh, the health of the language. And you know, if a company's considering doing Elixir, they have options, and they're not going to feel like you know one company owns the whole thing or is, has it all kind of in their pocket. Here, um, here. Yeah. So yeah, I I went to um, I went to Gig City Elixir recently. I saw several other consultancies that were doing Elixir. I was like, yeah, fist bump, awesome. <laughs> uh, keep it up. ElixirCasts create screencasts that cover a wide range of Elixir and Phoenix topics. Each episode tackles a specific problem or explores a new library, demystifying it in a language that's easy to understand. Whether you are just starting with Elixir or are using it professionally with 100 plus episodes, there's something for you. Go check them out at ElixirCasts.io. Um, but, but this was actually a theme in this contest. The top three entries all were kind of associated with consultancies. So the second one was Elixir Console. Uh, got second place. It lets you type in Elixir code, see it evaluated in the browser, and you can click on some document, click, click to see documentation on how things work. Um, that was built by a developer named Noelia and some other people from a team by, uh, in uh, Yworks. Yeah, that was really cool. And then I love this one. It got third place, um, but it was probably my favorite. It was ground control to Major Tom. This was built by Josh Price from Alembic, which is another consultancy. And it's actually a flight simulator. I couldn't believe that somebody did this. That lets you fly around Sydney Harbor. It's got a map. It shows you where you are. It's got instruments that show your speed and your altitude and your direction. It's got a first person camera view as you take off and fly. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not like realistic physics, you know, like the first thing I did was take off and then try to crash. <laughs> I want to see if there's an explosion. There's, you, know, you just bounce and keep flying. So that, uh, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to crash a flight simulator? But <laughs> maybe that's just me. But anyway, uh, it, that wasn't implemented, but it's, it's just so cool that, that you were able to do that. I wouldn't have even thought to, do, to try that. Um, and um, there's all, I mean, there's, so we had in the end, I've actually, Thought I had the number in front of me, but we, we had a large number of entries. Somebody want to pull up phoenixfrenzy.com results and tell me how many entries we had there? Um, counting, counting. <laughs> um, but we, we had quite a bit. I mean, so one of the things that I was afraid of in this contest was if we do this whole thing, we do all this effort to build this site, we do all this publicity, and we get three entries, this is going to suck. <laughs> We're going to be so disappointed, and it's going to look bad. Um, but in the end, we got quite a few entries. and um, 37. 37, thank you. And that's the ones that qualified. There were, there were a few we had to disqualify, like I said. Uh, and a lot of these entries were kind of in, in the spirit of, like, we did this because we can. Like, maybe you don't really want to use Live View to build a commercial real-time game, but it's neat that you can. Uh, and for something, so several of these were like card games. There was a Kanban board. Um, and for, for those, that that really works well, actually. Um, you know, everybody's always going to say, well, what about offline? <laughs> uh, in our in our chat channel, uh, Chris McCord pointed out, he said, I actually just noticed that Google Docs doesn't work offline <laughs> unless you have a browser extension. <laughs> yeah. So how, how, how many people are really building offline support? Exactly. How many times is that really a requirement? You, you, people hold it up as like, oh, but you know, because it's possible and you can build a site that way, they hold it up as saying, oh, well, you need to be able to do that. But, yeah. You know, but what if you need to do parallel computation? <laughs> <laughs> what if? You know, I mean, every, everything you choose is going to give you some limitations. But uh, and with I'm not qualified to talk about Lumen and what all that may do. Uh, I, I hardly understand what they're saying uh, when they when they talk about that. I'm like, you guys have more brains than uh, than should fit in your heads. But you know, maybe maybe at some point we will all have a story for offline with Elixir as well. Right. 
Uh, I will say, uh, recently at work, uh, we were doing a live view project, and uh, a coworker and I were trying to figure out how to structure something because it's something we neither of us had really done before, and we were trying to figure out like some of the event life cycles and just kind of making sure we could get it to work because we were struggling. And I thought, oh, let's go to Phoenix Frenzy Results, and we clicked around into a couple different projects, explored, and said they're doing it. Now let's look at how they did it. And, and so I think it was it's great just as a resource for that. You know, just to have people see how, like, I'm trying to do something with Live View. I'm struggling with something. Someone has done this correctly. And you have all these example projects that show how it's actually working. So I think it's just awesome just as a resource that all these are open source. I can just click into their GitHub repos, which are linked, and, and see how, how they did something, how, it was, how the router was structured, how did they use controllers or did they use a, a live route thing? You know, so like, how do they do that? And I think it's awesome. Yeah, that was definitely one of my major in goals for the project. And you know, as we talked about, uh, as we talked about, you know, the parameters of the thing early on, there was some discussion about, well, maybe maybe somebody has a closed source thing they want to submit. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, this is one thing I'm going to fight for. You need to show your source. A, we we need to be able to verify that you use Live View for one thing, but B. Like you said, it needs to be a learning resource. It's it's not much good if if people see that you did it with Live View and they can't find out how. And pe people did some cool things with like um, so Live View has these hooks now that let you uh, reach into a JavaScript callback on certain events happening. And people use that to do things with Canvas and and you know uh, there was a a game where you're like moving you're just moving a little avatar around the screen with all these like flying dog heads chasing you <laughs> uh, or no that maybe they're cat heads anyway it, it's very silly but like it was all done with canvas and it, it's it's animated very smoothly and it's neat to see that that was possible one i just wanted to also comment on uh, the ground control to major tom uh, i run a little monthly remote meetup and one of the people who was working on that uh showed up this last uh this last month and it turns out that him and some of the people working on that uh, demo, they actually were originally trying to build it because they're working on uh, an Elixir controlled drone. And they're part of a contest, which is about uh, getting medical supplies to people, which is uh, via drone, which is a really cool problem space. And it turned out that they really didn't want to crash all their drones when they messed up the code the first few times. So then they were building a simulator so that they could just like watch what the code was choosing to do. And I, I was just blown away by the fact that they're kind of like taking this really ambitious project, including simulation and all these other factors into account. And they kind of were just like, let's do an Elixir. Elixir can actually do all of those things fairly well. Like everything from the simulation with a lot of parallel computation to, uh, you know, to like monitoring or logging about that and all the way down to uh, actually running code on a drone and getting it to go do intelligent things. That's, that's a, a quite a breadth of a project. And they're just doing the whole thing in Elixir. And so far, it's going really well for them. <laughs> and uh, so I think in terms of your overall goal here of just uh, raising the profile of the language and what it can do for people, that to me was one of the big ones that stood out, that ground control to Major Tom project uh, was just, just so cool. I, I will also admit that I tried to crash the simulator right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe that is so maybe that's just the two of us i don't know but uh <laughs> but it was definitely my little seven-year-old self was coming back to life to be like oh what happens when i do this that's fantastic i had no idea about that background uh you should encourage them to do a conference talk about that at some point i would i would love to see that one thing i wanted to just highlight is the fact that live view is built on so many things that are special about Phoenix and Elixir and the Erlang VM. So just as a thought exercise, pick another language and try to imagine implementing Live View in it. Um, so for what we want to do for every for every visitor on our site, we want to keep an open WebSocket connection. We want to keep some state and server memory ready to receive interaction events. We want to update our in-memory state. We want to push out updates. It's all needs to be at high enough speed. We can do stuff like autocomplete as a user types or let multiple users draw on the same whiteboard. Um, and we want to scale to you know millions of users on the same box. If we need to add servers, we want to be able to just add them, and users that are connected to one box can talk to users on the other box. 
you know, something goes wrong with one user's connection. We don't want it to hurt anybody else. We want to make sure it gets fixed automatically. We want to be able to query the server in real time, see which user's processes are busy or using a lot of memory. Uh, we want to render updates to the client in a matter of microseconds and have little tiny payloads and like, what? <laughs> you can't do that, you know? Uh, and so, you know, in that list, some of those things are, are specific to LiveView, like the minimal payloads. Um, Jose did some really cool stuff with leaks to track um, diffs in a template and send down tiny, tiny diffs to the, um, to the client. The server-side state, the WebSocket support, sharing data across servers with PubSub, that's all part of Phoenix channels. That's been in Phoenix for a while. That was part of uh, Chris's initial vision for Phoenix. The observability features and error isolation and you know, automatically fixing issues are all just standard Beam stuff. The writing data quickly is, is supported by the way that Beam uses IO lists to write data really efficiently to a socket. But like fundamentally, all of this is made possible by the Beam's process model. You know, it's okay for us to spawn millions of little processes. It's fine. We can we can have one for every user. They can, you know, they communicate by message passing. They they they're isolated for failure. They're the fact that they're preemptively scheduled is really important because if you have one, Strasser has that great demo in his in his talk, The Soul of Erlang and Elixir, where he's got some process that's just just infinitely recursing or something. You know, like that would destroy a lot of a lot of um, systems, but it's fine, you know, every, every however many um, reductions, the VM just says like, okay, your turn's out for a little while, somebody else gets to run, nobody else even knows that that's happening, it's fine. Uh, so, you know, in that, in that sense, like the performance, there's a point at which the performance, that's reliable performance is what the beam shoots for, not necessarily maximum performance, but consistent performance, and that's part of reliability. Everything's about reliability. And so consistent performance is just one aspect of that. So. You know, Elixir just has this great foundation for building services. And yeah, as as a as a fun counterexample to that, I uh, we were working to integrate with someone. Actually, just today, I got off this phone call, and they uh, they punted on the spec that we had agreed to because keeping thirty seven sockets open was too much trouble for them, and it killed me. Wow! Oh, ouch! I love it. Wow! <laughs> I think we also have to add another constraint into your list there, Nathan, which is. Um, do this in like part-time work with only a few people within a year or something, right? Like I look at that problem the way you described it. And if I had an infinite amount of time, then maybe I would try to start it in Go or C. Uh, but we don't have infinite amount of time. And we also don't want a solution which has 35 layers of abstraction all in the same place. We would like it to be understandable as kind of one concrete thing built on other understandable abstractions. And um, there's so many times that it feels to me like the superpower that Elixir gives me is that I get to start from supervisors. Like I get to start in a world where supervisors are there, processes, millions of processes that are cheap and preemptively scheduled is it's already there and it's understood by the community of people. Um, you know, the fact that my application starts in a certain order and shuts down in a certain order is already there. It's part of the model of the way we build OTP applications. So, um, you know, I, I totally agree with you. This is a great example, uh, you know, and there's so much to this going on. If you look at the scenic project, if you look at nerves, um, there's all these areas where uh, Elixir makes, it makes something that is a total superpower and it gives you a really high level language with really amazing tooling and doesn't close the door on all these other amazing things that you can still do. Yeah, and, and I think that the friendliness of use is just baked into Elixir's existence because uh, if you think about a language like Clojure, there's a ton of really impressive stuff happening in Clojure, but, and I, maybe I'm not, I'm not qualified because I don't know a whole lot about Clojure, but I know you're starting, you're starting from the JVM, right? And then you're building a functional language on top of that. So just getting a functional language built on top of the JVM is a ton of effort. A ton of work and it's kudos to them for making it work and, and they're doing neat stuff that I, I know there's actually inspiration from closure and elixir um and you know brilliant brilliant people working on that project but in some sense if that works at all you succeeded right whereas with elixir um elixir is being built on top of erlang all the semantics and all of the the vm properties that we're talking about there are so special were already there in erlang so why does Elixir even need to exist? The only reason it needs to exist is to make everything easier to use and a joy to use. And so like 
the, the, the fact that the language is being used at all is a testament to the fact that it's a pleasure to use. That's the only reason it, it needs to even be there. Um, so yeah, like you said, we have all these beautiful abstractions to build on and, and that's, that's what Elixir is all about. Well, Nathan, I loved your uh, kind of big picture pullback kind of uh, look at, you know, what uh, live view and all the components, the pub sub and the small packets of data that are sending down all of those optimizations, the IO lists. I loved kind of just pulling all that together. just from a high level perspective, because sometimes, you know, we get down in the weeds a lot. We're trying to build something, trying to solve a problem. And you're kind of living there in the weeds at the, at the ground level. And when you pull back and you realize, yeah, you know, this is really an incredible technology and just the foundation that has been laid that I can now come in and say, you know, just, I'm going to build these little things on top of that. And I, you know, it's like the whole idea of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? That that's how I can accomplish something that's truly incredible. And, you know, it's something that my competitors in my space cannot do that I'm, I'm able to do any with a smaller team, right? When you look at that, it's like, okay, this actually makes a lot of economic business sense for me to actually pursue this. So I just love that perspective. Yeah. And, and there's, I, I think Phoenix is a really productive framework to work in. I know Dave Thomas wants us to stop talking so much about building Phoenix apps and start talking about building other things in Elixir. But I, I come from the web development world. That's kind of what I'm interested in doing. And, and frankly, it's quite broad, you know, when you think about all the APIs that power all kinds of things. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective now, so you've had a little bit of a chance to catch your breath. You, you were a part of seeing all of these things come through, all these different demos that people were building. Um, at this point, is there, is there a place where you kind of feel like you have an idea of if a, if a customer says something to me like they want this, then I'm kind of in the back of my head thinking live view. Um, or are there, are there any places and any things that customers ask for that make you think, uh, maybe live view is not so great. We should maybe do this with JavaScript and channels. Hmm. I, I don't think I'm probably the best person to answer this question, but, um, I think it, it depends a lot. I mean, you know, everybody always talks about if you need offline support and I think really that's a, a special case of if you need to do a lot of stuff on the client between communicating with the server. So if you're doing a whole bunch of, uh, you know, we, we have like the famous example of pushing down a whole bunch of animation frames over live view, but that's really, you want to do that locally. Um, so I, I think the more, the more you need to do heavy lifting on the client side, I'm going to be really vague and say that, um, the more you need to think about JavaScript. But I would, I would also say like with, with hooks, um, you, you may be able to get what you want done, um, even with using live view and using hooks to kind of sprinkle in some of that extra. Umph. And I think that's a great thing that is built into it. I love, I love the fact that, so live view is trying to give you a set of tools to do a lot of cool things, but it's not going to be everything. You know, there's always going to be some case that you don't, you can't handle. It's, it's very similar with Ecto, like Ecto can handle almost all the queries you want to do, but there's always going to be something that you want to do that's special, that's really advanced query syntax. And they both give you escape patches. So you can always drop down a lower level and you know, use, use straight up JavaScript, use straight up SQL. Uh, I think that's a, a, an excellent pattern for any tool that is, is trying to give you an abstraction over something is, is let you get your hands dirty if you need to. So I guess my answer is like, I would, I mean, so I'm biased, you know, Elixir is my tool set. And it's very hard for me not to want to reach for a lot of you to do something, but I, I would reach for it. And I'll say this, I've, I've been a part of multiple projects that use React or something along those lines. And I think all of them should have used Live View if it, ex if it had existed at that time. Um, because the stuff they were doing was pretty light. It was, we want to, uh, we want to, have a little bit of dynamism sprinkled on top of what's basically a REST site. And I just think so many of those projects could save so much time if they were using something like LiveView instead. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. 
Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. Yeah, the worst is when someone says, hey, we need a little bit of stuff that updates in real time. And the response is, let's scrap everything and build a single page app. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I worked, with a, I worked on something with a client where they wanted um, an infinite scroll feature. And they're like, well, it's got to be React. And I was like, oh, yeah, but you could just like, you could have just a sprinkle of JavaScript where you scroll down and then it requests more HTML from the server. And that would work fine. Um, so I think sometimes pe I think sometimes people reach for those tools. Not that, it's not that they're bad tools, but it's like, you know, what you needed was a handsaw, and what you got was a sawmill. I will forever defend accepting a thirty thousand line React application to avoid including the jQuery dependency, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know, you go back to prototype JS. You know, that's even better, right? Just kidding. But yeah, I, I think that is, that is totally true, right? Like that so often we do have these things where we do want a little bit of dynamic, uh, so, something brought into our website. Like we're just doing this uh, website uh, project at work. It's at Live View. We're actually, we're a small team and we actually view uh, Live View as a competitive advantage in a way. Uh, but basically because we're a small team, we don't have a dedicated JavaScript, um, you know, front end developers who they really know JavaScript. That's where they spend all of their time so that they can keep the build chain up to date and actually working. So like when a new version of Webpack comes out and everything breaks, you know, like they, they actually, oh, that this, I deal with this all the time. I know, I know exactly what to do. You know, we don't because we don't deal with that all the time. And so like, we're actually in the process of converting like React and Vue.js projects into Live View. And so like one of the things I should mention here is there is some very exciting stuff happening in Live View that's on the master branch. It's not released yet. We haven't talked about it yet. We have a guest lined up who's going to be talking about what they're doing and it's exciting stuff. It's basically, you know, if I were to sum it up, I'd say it's uh, like React style or Vue.js style web components in Live View. And so it's like, you know, like, so you can write a much more React like syntax in HTML markup, but it's all server side rendered and it's live view components, but it feels much more like what you're accustomed to, like in terms of the templating language. Really exciting stuff. So I look forward to when we can talk about that. Uh, but, you know, as we're starting to build these solutions and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with people who are uh, more familiar with React. And, you know, it's, it's interesting hearing the mental shifts that they're having to make. And a lot of it just comes down to, uh, like in React, you're, you're accustomed to passing in events as, you know, here is the callback, here is the JavaScript function to execute as a callback. And with uh, Live View, it's not doing that, right? You're saying, here is the event to call on the server. And here's like the name of the event, and here's a way of passing arguments to it. So it's just a very different kind of like mental break and like, whoa, it just feels really foreign there. So it's a mental shift, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's a very interesting time right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not going to, there's, you know, LiveView doesn't have the goal of, of replacing everything that everybody ever does in JavaScript. Uh, but I think it's a, your use case, like you're talking about, you don't have specialists to do the JavaScript front end stuff and you don't feel like it's complex enough that you need that. You know, if you were building, if you were building Google Docs, you know, you probably would want that level of specialization. But the, the web stack is so complex now. There's so many parts. And anything we can do to, to simplify and allow one person to do more or, you know, one set of skills to stretch farther is great. It's, uh, you know, it's the same reason why, you know, if I'm implementing a site that has everything can be done in Postgres and then they're like, we need some full text search. I'm going to be like, well, before we reach for Elasticsearch or something else, let's see if we can do what we need in Postgres because one less tool means a lot less complexity. And 
you know, it's not always going to be sufficient, but if it's sufficient for your needs, you're going to love having fewer things to deal with. And I think it's the same case with front end frameworks or anything else. Exactly. So I am curious though, now with Phoenix frenzy behind you, you're like able to take a breath and kind of recoup. Do you feel it was a success? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it wasn't my wildest dreams. You know, my wildest dreams would have been that, you know, that people from other languages were all saying, we give up, we're switching to Elixir, (laughs) you know. Uh, That's that's putting it too too strongly. (laughs) You don't have to pick one, right? You can use more than one language. Uh, But I I would have loved to see more interest from outside the community. But um, but from the from the perspective of just participation and excitement, it was a, a success and uh, it was it was really great to see all the cool stuff people built. It was it was great to see people's excitement about it, and and it is really nice to have um, this this whole repository now of uh, examples. If you're doing things with Live, you can see how would I use SVG? How would I use the canvas? How would I you know, how would I animate something or, or whatever the case is, you've got a lot of, a lot of examples to look at. I'll, I'll just quickly say from my perspective, um, one of the hardest things for me in, in thinking about LiveView or, or, or trying to um, be a proponent of LiveView for a, an engineering project is that the answer to so many questions is we don't know. Uh, and upfront, if you ask the business like, oh, do you, are we gonna need this kind of thing? Or are we gonna need that? They're just gonna be like, we don't know. We just need it to be flexible so that we can change our minds in the future. That's uh, very often one of the most important things. And I didn't have a good idea of what was and wasn't, like how flexible was it? How far can I take this? What edges do I need to watch out for? And being able to have a repository like a Phoenix Frenzy to say, well, I don't know, can you do Google Maps? And oh, yeah, there's an example doing Google Maps. Oh, I don't know. Could I like dynamically render charts? Oh, yeah, there's an example doing that. Uh, could I do something that looks sort of like Excel in a browser? Yep. There's an, and so um, it really helps me to have confidence to actually tell someone else like, yeah, that's, that's great. You can totally use it for this project. And you're, yes, just like anything else, there are limitations to how far you can take it. But there's escape hatches and those limitations are, are pretty far. They're, they're not like the next feature that you're going to write I, in most cases. Um, I, I also would wonder from your perspective, Nathan, at this point, do you have any other ideas of, of things that you would like to do or like to see from our community that will help to um, create some excitement from outside the community or interest from outside of the community? Well, something I personally am interested in seeing, uh, not really for any specific reason, it just seems cool, <laughs> is, um, and this would be a huge undertaking, but something along the lines of like D3 for building SVGs in Elixir or, or maybe, and I haven't looked if this exists, but maybe even like as a Rust implementation so that it can be wrapped and used in Elixir. But all of the, and I don't, now that I say that, I'm not sure how that, how that would play with the live view diffing, but I just think it's, uh, you know, live view fundamentally doesn't care that you're sending down HTML markup versus any other kind of text. It's just diffing chunks of text. So people are doing amazing things with SVG uh, drawing and animation. And wouldn't it be cool if you had dashboards and charts and graphs and stuff, they were all rendered server side and all updating live from live view. So that, that's something I would really like to see. It would just be um, a, a neat component to be able to use. And I'm sure people would build on top of that. You know, maybe, maybe it would be you spin up a new Phoenix app and immediately you have a dashboard of charts and graphs of performance or whatever built into it. That'll be, that'll be awesome. I think there's a lot of other stuff, you know, like Mark was saying, there's a lot of stuff happening in the development of live view that I can't really speak to. And I know Chris McCord explained some of those upcoming features to me and I, I'm, I need it about three or four times before I understand. So, uh, but, but I do think that if we do this thing again, there's going to be even cooler stuff people can do. I mean, we're, st- we're still way pre-1.0, I think, with, with Live View. So we really don't even know the limits of what it's capable of yet. That's a great place to wrap up that topic, I think. Uh, so Nathan, thank you for coming on. And you, dear listener, if you haven't already checked out uh, the Phoenix Frenzy results page, go do that right now. Okay, pause and go do that right now. And then come back and let's go to picks. Josh, do you have anything you can share? 
Yeah, so I have exactly one pick, and it is the new Kanye West album, Jesus is King, because it's a fantastic album, and I've basically listened to it since it's been released all of the time. Maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. Nice. Cool. Michael, how about you? Uh, one pick this week. Um, so it fits in pretty well with our discussion today. Um, but recently, um, for Hacktoberfest, I was looking for one more thing to do. I had a little side project working on a golf cart and wanted to make a fuel gauge for it. So I made a little, uh, a small library where you could pass it in and it would, it would kind of like call the functions to add some stuff to your scenic scene. Um, and after I published it, um, the scenic framework Twitter account reached out and they were like, oh, it'd be great if you could turn this into a component. And they uh, gave a little bit of the reasons why. When I started to read into scenic components, um, it, it really blew my mind in a big way that, you know, what you can, what you can accomplish with that. And the fact that uh, something like a scenic component, and maybe in the future we'll hear about things like live view components, putting those inside of a supervised uh, structure gives you some extra kind of cool superpowers that would be really hard to get with just purely functional, um, you know, just calling down a stack of code, uh, the error isolation and the ability to handle events uh, and, and to like do some cool things with events that aren't necessarily like your logic for events doesn't have to match exactly the DOM of what you're rendering, if that makes sense. You can kind of have like a, a separation of a conceptual DOM versus the detailed DOM. And um, that makes some things really interesting in UI. So I'm not a, I'm not a huge UI person, but uh, reading the docs on scenic components has gotten me really excited. And it, it's really cool to see these um, additional branches coming off of the scenic, uh, uh, coming off of the Elixir ecosystem. So just excited for those. Cool. All right. So mine is a, it's a project that I really find fascinating. It's from alicevision.org. This is something I've wanted to do for like years and years and years, which is, and now you can do it with a smartphone is basically you can put down a little, like a figurine or something that something physical and get pictures from all different angles around it. And then it's able to take these photos and kind of do a photo cloud and then create a 3d mesh and texture map it, uh, all the, the, the pictures get texture mapped onto it. So you have like an actual, like you can spin around and see that thing in 3D. And then you can go from there, like, you know, do 3D printing or something or bring it into a game or whatever you want to do. But it's like, that is the kind of thing I wanted for years. And it's like, oh, it's there now. And well, my, my reason for wanting it is gone now. Uh, but I just think it's such a cool tech. I, I, I wanted to kind of do it and play with my kids and, you know, kind of like take some of their favorite little toys and go around and then let them visually drag it around and experiment with it in, in 3D space. So it's a fun one. Just check it out. If nothing else, just kind of be impressed by what you can do and play with some of the demos. All right, that's it for me. Nathan, how about you? Yeah, I've got two picks. Um, one of them is a very specific technical thing to do, um, which is the same site cookie attribute. If you haven't seen this yet, is very cool. It's not um, super uh, official, like in terms of uh, the standard being being settled yet. Uh, it's it basically shuts down uh, cross-site request forgery. Where we're right now, we're saying like, oh, if you if you're operating a bank and somebody submits a form from some other site, it's going to include their site cookie, and so then you have to have this other token that that proves that it was it's coming from a form that you rendered. You know, all the all the frameworks have to do this kind of business. Uh, cookies are now starting to browsers are now starting to support the same site cookie attribute. So you set the session cookie, you're just like, hey, don't send this along if you're if the request is coming from another site, period. <laughs> and it's done. Uh, so same site lacks, it covers pretty much all your needs with that. Um, I, I actually PR this to plug, it's not subtle enough, and so they wanted to hold off on on um, making it standard and uh, a standard option yet, but uh, it's a very easy thing to add. Doesn't hurt anything uh, if, if you're using Lax, and it's uh, it's it's really cool in the browsers that support it. My second pick is a program called Anki. Um, Anki is it's a a n k i, and Anki is a spaced repetition learning program. So you make flashcards, um, and you can. And it helps you to study them on a schedule where uh, this is all based on a whole bunch of psychological research where um, you basically minimize the amount of time studying you have to do to learn these things and keep them in your memory. So 
the idea is you learn something and a few days later you will forget it. So at, at the point you're going to forget it, it's going to pop that back up to remind you to, you know, re-verify that you know that piece of information and you score yourself. Did I get this well? Was it hard? Was it easy? And then based on that feedback, it's going to reschedule that card maybe a week, week from now, a month from now, a year from now. You know, as more time goes on, it, it's like an exponential back off of how long, how long you can go before you have to review that information again. So I'm still trying to figure out the best stuff to actually take the effort to memorize. But I feel like there are things that really I just need to commit to memory so that I'll have those concepts ready in my mind. And one that paid off recently was we were talking about how to build something. And um, I had forced myself, after having forgotten it several times, I had forced myself to enter into Anki, like the different, um, the different uh, child spec things with like transient, temporary, and uh, permanent. And to be able to say like, oh, you know, this is how this is going to work. If if there's an error, then the, the transient one will be restarted. If there's a normal shutdown, it won't be restarted. And so we were talking about architecture. And I, like I had that on the tip of my tongue. I was like, oh, yep, yep. We want, we want to do this one. And if we do this, then this will work that way. And a lot of things you can just look up in the documentation. I don't need to, I don't need to memorize everything that I can look up. But a few, a few concepts, I feel like it's good to just have solidly in my mind. And if I don't make the effort to memorize them. I, my memory is terrible. I'll forget them. So Anki is, is great for memorizing stuff. Nice. It looks like there's mobile clients for it too. Yeah. It's all open source. And there's desktop. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's all free and open source. So it's really cool. Oh, good. And you can have images. It's been around for forever and there's lots of libraries that you can just find places. It's really cool. Nice. See, I should, I should do that with people's faces because I, I, I always forget people's names when I see them. It's like, and then like, as soon as I walk away, I'll remember their name. I'm doing it with uh, some code things, but also exits on the loop around the city where I live because I always forget what's what and I'm terrible with directions. And so now I can tell you, here's what's on exit nine. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Nathan, for coming on. I had a lot of fun talking with you. Thanks for kind of sharing what was going on with the Phoenix Frenzy project and the, and the, the contest and the results. And I encourage people to check that out. And if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where should they go to do that? Um, so uh, you can uh, find articles that I write on the Dockyard blog, um, dockyard.com slash blog. I'm on Twitter at Sleepless Geek, uh, which is a dumb name that I picked a long time ago, but there you go. And I do actually like sleep. And GitHub uh, slash Nathan L. You can find me in any of those places. Awesome. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.